Well, we're continuing our series, The Power of Circles, as you heard this morning, talking about what it looks like to live in Christ-centered community. How do we move from these rows into circles and watch what God does when he begins to transform our lives? And today we're going to talk about the importance of God's Word and how we grow in God's Word and how essential community is to that. Now, one thing that I'm realizing in our society, it seems, and, and, and even in the church, that maybe this morning, how many of us really know God's Word? How many of us really study God's word? How many of us are really disciples of God's word where we know this is what is truth? This is what is not truth. This is what God has for us. And I think this idea and this desire to grow in in biblical understanding is so important. Many times we don't get more than, I think, the Sunday sermon. We come to church, and this might be the only time that you hear scripture. Now, it's a great start, and I'm glad if that's your beginning point, that this is where we study God's word. But how well do you know the Bible? So we're going to do, do a little test this morning. You guys up for a little quiz? I mean, it is back to school. No, you guys are looking a little nervous. A little, look a little nervous. Uh, I, need, uh, I need a couple volunteers. I need two volunteers to come up. Don't worry. The volunteers coming up do not have to answer the questions. So, so um, I do have a question here. How many of you have a good uh, British accent? Who's got a good British accent? I should have asked that first. Okay, all right, come on up, Caroline. All right, Caroline, all right, I, need, I need somebody else. Welcome, Caroline. Come on up. All right, good, good. Awesome. Give her a hand. Who else? Who else here? I'm going to pick somebody. George, come on up. George, I need you to help me out. <laughs> Caroline, tell us. Uh, you don't have your name tag on today, but tell us in your, in your hometown. Actually, no, I'm not British. I'm from Zimbabwe, and we were colonized by the British. Oh, okay, so this will be... twang. Okay, you have a little... Good, good. You have an advantage, George? What? Where are you from? I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. It says Cleveburg. Yeah. Okay, all right. George, give us your best British... Say something in... A a British greeting. Uh, Hey, mate. All right, you're probably wondering what this has to do with anything. We're going to play a little game here, five questions about the Bible. Uh, Shakespeare or King James Bible, okay? Shakespeare or KJV, King James Version, translation of the Bible. So you're King's English or Shakespearean English. And uh, here's the first one. Caroline, why don't you get us started so that George can pick up the, the accent a little bit here better for the second <laughs> round. All right, would you read this for us in, in the best Shakespearean or British English you got? Okay. Stay with me, flagons. Comfort me. With, with apples, for I am sick of love. I'm sick of love. All right, what do you think? What do you think? Bible? Bible or Shakespeare? Shakespeare. All right, and the answer is? Ooh, oh for one congregation. There's a lot of good stuff in that song of Solomon. All right, all right, George. All right, here we go. <laughs> Neither a borrower nor a lender be. Oh, very good. Very good. King George. King George. That was a little bit of Irish. Yeah, that was a good. All right, all right. Bible or Shakespeare? What do we have? How many say Bible? Shakespeare? All right, what do we have? Ah, Hamlet, Hamlet. All right, all right. Caroline, let, let, give, us, give us the full stage presentation now of number three here. This above all to thine own self be true. I hear a lot of Shakespeare. What do we got? What do we got? Yes, again from Hamlet. All right, two. All right, George. All right, here we go. Number four. Should I give this one to Caroline? It's a little long. <clears throat> For what is your life? It's a, it is even a vapor 
that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Oh, this is good. George is really coming along here, King Nice. All right. So what do we have here, Bible or Shakespeare? Bible. Bible? Any Shakespeare? All right, what do we got? Bible, James 1 through 4. Or, all right, one, uh, 414. All right, here we go. Last one, last one. Caroline, bring it home. For tis money that is the root of all evil. Mm. How many of you guys say Bible? How many of you say Shakespeare? All right, and the answer is? Neither. All right, I saw, I saw Cindy over there saying it's neither. Good job, good job. Right, it's the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Give these guys a hand. Thank you very much. Don't mind just taking that down there. Thank you, King George and Caroline. How well do we know the Bible? How well do we know what is truth? Because if we're going to base our lives on it, if we're going to live on this truth, we need to know. Jesus, even as he taught the Sermon on the Mount, he ended the sermon. So he's teaching all these principles of the kingdom of heaven. And then he comes to the end and he gives the story and he says, if you put these words into practice, if you build your life on these truths, it will be like building your house on the rock, right? And he gives us this parable of whether building on the rock or building your house on sand. And he said, when the difficulties come, when the storms come, when the questions in life, when the confusion is there and they, they come and beat against your house, the one that is built on the rock will stand but the one that is built on sand will collapse. If we don't know God's word, we're building our house on sand. We don't know the truths. We don't know if we're building our lives on Shakespeare, right? Or whether we're building it on God's word. What is truth? We need to know God's word and his truth. And so as we're looking at this series, The Power of Circles, what is the role of God's word? What is the role of truth in community? How did God design us to create and come together around these foundational truths? And why is that so essential to growing in our faith? That's what we're going to talk about today. Because as we're looking in the series, The Power of Circles, it's really, again, this power of what happens when God is in the midst of a circle. As the Bible says, where two or three are gathered in his name, where is God? Where is Jesus? He's right there. There's a spiritual reality that we gather in his name for his purpose. Then he shows up and begins to transform us and show us what that's all about. And so we've been talking about how important it is for us to connect, to relate to one another, to, to, to even belong to one another. The name tags, right? To know names. It begins with connecting. Where are you from? That's a great conversation starter. I already had a bunch of conversations this morning. I'm from Detroit. That's right. From Michigan, the state up north. Proud of it. Any other Michiganders out there? All right, all right, Demetrius this morning, I see you, Cindy, I see you, and that's it, three of us? Oh boy, we're in trouble. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we have some history and we, we, we learn about each other. But like we, we talked about as we began is we have this, this longing to belong, this desire to connect, but we're hesitant to take those steps. We're hesitant to get into closer proximity with one another. And so we, are, we, we settle for staying on the sidelines, watching what's going on and not getting into those closer communities. So what we want to look at is what is the design of the church? What is God's design for us to be in relationship with each other? A key passage we've been looking at and we'll look at every week in the series is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. So let's look at that um, again this morning and, and set the framework here. So the early church is gathering. There's, they're figuring out what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus um, in, in those first days after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so they came together and says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it begins with them coming together in this community. And what did they do as they gathered together, as they gathered in homes? We've been talking about that. Gathering around the table, right? Devoting themselves to fellowship. We talked about that last week. Breaking of bread with glad and sincere hearts. Who have you had around your table this week? Have you had anyone around your table? Have you had some times where God showed up in that way? This one is, might be a little bit of a stretch, but last night, um, we went. Uh, Shannon and I went to the, the food truck festival with Tim and Becky Heller, Tim, our youth pastor, and, uh, and we got some of those Amish donuts. You guys, have you ever been to the food truck that had the Amish donuts? Donuts the size of your head? I kid you not. They're, they're huge, freshly baked dough dipped in warm glaze coming out. I mean, the line extends. The longest line of any of the food trucks is there behind Amish donuts, and we got a box of them. And we sat under the shelter as the thunderstorm, remember the rain's coming through last night, just blowing. And then we just grabbed one of these donuts and we started pulling it apart. And I had this moment like, we're breaking bread, right? I mean, this, that counts, right? Those good donuts and sharing together. We had a memory together. We had, a, had some time together. Something happens when we come together and break bread. And so we, they devoted themselves to fellowship, this breaking of bread. And today, I want to look at that verse and that passage, this devotion to the teaching and to prayer. We want to talk about teaching and to prayer. How, what does that mean they were devoted to teaching and prayer? I think that for many of us that we are stuck in our spiritual growth. It's one of the problems that we have right now. We, we, we want to learn God's word, but we get stuck. Things just, just don't seem to grow. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time and you feel like you kind of know everything. You've already heard a lot of it or maybe you're like you learned enough. Maybe you're new in your faith and you started on fire and now it's kind of like dwindling out. Maybe you're still exploring faith, and you're thinking, I don't even know how I could possibly get into this Bible. It just seems confusing to me. It's overwhelming. And so let's just get a sermon. Let's listen. Let's try to hear what we can. But ah, it's tough. Maybe we, we read the Bible on our own, but we can't seem to go any further. And sometimes we look at God's Word, and we think, well, what's the purpose of really going much deeper? I mean, do I really need to learn and memorize the theology? Do I have to know all the stories? And it seems intimidating to many, to deal with God's word. And so we learn it, maybe we hear some at church, but ultimately God's word isn't just to be memorized or to learn, but it's to put it into practice, right? It's, it's how do we take this now and how do we live that out? And, and what I think is so important when we think about community is it's hard to live out your life as a follower of Christ in this world. I was reminded of this by, from another parent I was, we were having conversation with and they were telling their, their son just, listen, you're just never gonna fit in. If you're a follower of Christ, just accept right now, you're going to be different. And I think that's just such a powerful reminder. It's not to be different for different sake. or to be, It's just when you base your life and you build it on something else than the rest of the world, you're going to be different. And if you're going to live in a different way, you need others to support you, to come around alongside. I need my daughters to be able to be in a, in a youth ministry, in a student ministry that supports them in their faith, that encourages them. When they're getting beaten down day in, day out by the language and the stories and the values and the priorities that do not align with God's word, we need a place to come. College students need a place to gather together with others. We need it as adults who are growing and in, in, in dealing with, with work and dealing with life and neighbors and all the things that we're inundated with. We need to come around others and to know what does it look like to live this out. But the problem is we try to do it on our own. What happens time and time again, and I've seen this all throughout my ministry, when somebody gets separated from the body, when they start drifting away in their faith, eventually there is no faith. 
This idea that I'm just a strong believer and I do it on my own and I don't need community or I just show up to church and don't connect with others will not grow your faith. Eventually you're going to be discouraged. Things that are going to creep into your life, doubts, struggles, it happens to all of us. Where is the community? Where are we connected in a circle? So we're going to talk about that today. Looking at Acts 2 verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. Those two pieces, I want to look at this. What, is, what does this look like? So there's two principles that I want to look at. And after looking at these two principles, then we're going to go a little further. I'm going to look at four essentials to spiritual growth that you can only get in community. So two principles and then these four essentials that you can only get in community. So the first is this. A Christ-centered community is a Bible-centered community. So what we see here in this, in this passage is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now you might say, well, the apostles' teaching... Is that the Bible? What was that? Well, they didn't have the New Testament back in the early church, right? Jesus had just uh, died on the cross. He rose again. And they had the Old Testament, which is still fully God's word and scripture that we hold to. But they didn't have the New Testament scriptures yet. And so they had to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, who were the apostles? Were they the same, people, say, were they the same uh, as the, the 12 disciples? Why are they called disciples? Why are they called apostles? Talk amongst yourselves. No. Um, <laughs> All, um, all, you know, there's this group, there were many disciples. Disciples who were following Jesus, who were students of Jesus, who followed him and learned his teaching, but there were the 12, the 12 disciples who were also the apostles. And, and disciple means student, and apostle means the sent one. So the apostles were chosen by Christ to be the ones to be sent out into the world, to be the ones to begin this process, the first ones entrusted with the truth of God's teaching. And so they took the Great Commission seriously to go and to make disciples. These were the 12 apostles. And, and add to that also uh, Paul, who through revelation of Jesus is an apostle of Christ. And so we have the New Testament written through letters that they, they shared with others, through the gospels that were written and other accounts, people that were at that time. And so we have the teachings of Jesus. And that's what they devoted themselves to. But I want you to hear this teaching uh, where it's, it talks about this in Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 1 and 3 through 4. Here it says, So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or else what? We may drift away from it, right? So it's important to hear, but what truth? So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself? And then listen to this. And then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. Who were those that heard him speak? It was the apostles, right? So it was Jesus delivered this, those who heard him speak. And then it says, and, and God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit wherever and whenever he chose. We just read in that Acts 2 passage that they had many signs and wonders. And so there was this affirmation that this is the truth. This is God's teaching. And they devoted themselves to that teaching. What did they teach? They taught what Jesus said. When Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like, they were telling these stories. As we followed him, as we walked alongside, we saw him do these miracles and these teachings. And, and this is what we learned, and they passed that on to them. And so now here are these followers, this early church, these believers saying, we're devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Teach us. Help us understand. And that raises the question for me is, how devoted are we to that teaching? How devoted are we to being disciples? Again, disciple literally meant the student, the one who walked in Jesus' footsteps, that had the dust of his sandals, right, on his feet, and were following along and saying, this is who I am. When I'm a disciple, I represent the master. I'm learning. I'm soaking it in. We have God's word. How devoted are we? This is a, maybe a 
a strong statement, but I think it's true. Tragically, in the church today, we have many followers of Jesus, but few disciples. Now, it's great to be a follower of Jesus. That's what we're after. Be a follower of Jesus. You know, begin to follow him, but to then become and be a disciple, like one who sits there and goes, I need to lo- learn this. I need to know this. I gotta, have to understand what God's word teaches me. How devoted are we? And key to this is Scripture. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and not dive into Scripture and not learn what his, the, God's Word says. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God. And what's it useful for? To teach us what is true. And to me, realize, make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Where do we go looking for truth? Everyone's trying to tell us truth. We have truth. In God's word, we have truth. So it tells us what is true and makes us realize what what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. And it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This is the power of God's word to be disciples of his word. And I think we often ignore it. Or we don't give time to it. We don't study it. And we wonder, why are things going wrong in my life? Because you're not building your life on truth. You're not allowing God's word to correct you. You know what we do in our culture today? When our culture and society and morals and values don't align with God's word, we change God's word or we ignore that part of God's word. Have we seen that at all? Because this doesn't reconcile with with what we think is right. And so we're changing truth or we're ignoring truth when it's exactly opposite. We take the truth and look at our lives and say, ah, I need to get back to that. It's the mirror, as scripture says itself that reflects our lives back to us and helps us see where we need to correct our our lives. And so we've got to be devoted in that word. We need to study it. We need to get into it personally. There's so many different ways that you can do that. Just start reading the Bible chapter by chapter. You can sign up for weekly emails from different places online where you get it or a daily email. I get a daily email from Pastor Rick Warren every day and I read the email. And I read the devotional scripture. It's just one of those ways. Sometimes I've used others. There's the Bible app on, that you can download on your phone. All kinds of study plans. So many different ways you can get into God's word. I appreciate when you come and when you're here and when we're getting together every week to look at God's word and say, what does the Bible say? I never preach and just go, let me just tell you what I think. It's always what is in scripture. Where are we rooted and grounded in that? And as Jesus said in John 6, 63, the very words I have spoken to you are what? Spirit and life. I mean, those words, they, they transform us. So we have to know that if we're going to gather as a community, that a, that a Christ-centered community is a Bible-centered community, that God's word is centered. And second, I said the other principle is this. Disciples aren't made in isolation. Disciples are made in community. And so many times, again, we think of our faith in isolation. It's what I do. It's how I grow versus thinking about how we do this together. We have an individual responsibility but we need to grow together. And I think, I really believe this is why some of you, some of you watching, some of you sitting here are not growing in your faith because you're doing it in isolation. You're not connecting with others. You come, you sit in a row, and you go home. You dial in online, and that's it. And that's the only connection you have with other believers on a regular basis, and, and not just friendships, but really gathering in Christ-centered community. Discipleship to grow, that happens in community. Your faith isn't going to grow if you're just doing it on your own. There's some growth that's there, but to really experience the deeper parts, we need to be in community. And so I want to talk about the four essentials now to spiritual growth you can't get 
without being a community. So no matter how hard you try, if you're on your own, unless you connect the community, you cannot experience these four things. And these four things are so critical to your spiritual growth. So let me go over these four and let's get practical on what it looks like to be in community. The first is this, dialogue. Now that's maybe not the most exciting word, but dialogue, a place to share your questions and doubts. You can't get that when you're just on your own and say, I'm just going to figure out faith on my own. Dialogue, we need to talk. We need to be in conversation with others. A place where we can bring our questions and doubts. And one thing I know from, I I think should be probably true for all of us, or is probably true, we all have doubts. We all have questions. We all have things that we don't understand. Things that don't make sense. Things in scripture that that we don't, don't get. Things in our life that we experience and go, Lord, how could you let that happen to my friend? How could you let her pass away when she had three young kids? It doesn't seem right. Lord, I don't understand. Why did I lose my job? How do I deal with this question. Maybe it's a scriptural question. I I can't reconcile these two verses. They seem to contradict each other. How do we handle this today? All kinds of questions, things that we have. We need a place to be able to share that. Now, you could say, just go to Google, right? We don't need community. I got Google. Just look it up. You can type in any question. You can find lots of answers, lots of good stuff. You can buy books and have questions answered, but what you can't get on Google or in a book is dialogue. You can't get conversation. You don't have somebody who understands you or who can ask the follow-up question, who can bring it closer to your context and say, what is happening here? You need that space. Now, I love the story in Acts, uh, that we're going to read here in Acts chapter 8. So there's this Ethiopian who's traveling in a chariot, and uh, he's reading the Word of God because he doesn't have you know, his iPhone. He's not got apps and iPads and whatnot. So what he's doing, he's reading the Word of God as he's traveling. And he's reading it out loud, and God prompts Philip, one of the disciples, to, to go and, and, and to the area where this Ethiopian is. And here's where we pick up the story. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come into the, up into the carriage and sit with him. So here's this, this, this example, right? He's reading the Bible, and he's like, I don't understand. How can I, unless somebody helps me understand this? Some of this, I just don't get this part. And so Philip gets in the carriage, sits with him now, and now they're riding along, and they begin to read the passage in Isaiah that, that he was struggling with. And then it comes back, and it says this. The, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So right now, this question isn't really even being addressed. The, question, the, the fact is, he's asking a question. Who is he talking about? Well, I don't understand. Help me. And I love this next verse. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Philip just began there. He didn't say, now let me take you somewhere else. Let's start with where you're at. Let's start with where you're struggling. Let's start with where your doubt or your, un- or your, or your, uh, your desire to learn knowledge is. Let's start there, and then let's work. And he began to teach him about Jesus. And what was pretty cool is as they were going along, so much so that eventually, in this case, the, 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 the Ethiopian wanted to stop the chariot and said, Let's get, let me get baptized right now. And there he baptized them on the side of the road. Now, that doesn't always happen just that fast, but it reminds me of the importance of dialogue, of conversation, of being together with others who are struggling, who are asking questions that can help you with questions that you maybe already have. So when we have these life groups that we form together where we say, look, there's people who are ready to welcome you into a circle, to gather in homes or to gather in the church and to, and to meet together. This is a place where we can have conversation about our faith and grow from one another. It's so important. Because when we think about Sunday morning, I'll say it this way, the Sunday morning monologue needs to become a deeper dialogue. 
This is a monologue. We, I, mean, I, I like your nods mm-hmm, and some back and forth. And I love that. I eat that up. It's a great way. But it's a, it's, it's, it, it's a starting point. And many of our groups are sermon-based groups where they'll take this message and then say, all right, what did you remember? What did you learn? What questions did you have? How are you living that out? And that's when it gains traction, when it's not just something we hear but something we apply. Other groups, they study the scriptures and they get together and have that opportunity to go deeper. Okay, so the first thing we get that we can't get by ourselves is dialogue, right? A place to ask questions and bring our doubts. The second is this wisdom. You get your own spiritual advisory council. Isn't that cool? At the church, uh, our board is called the advisory council. It's the advisory council. It says in Proverbs 15:22, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. The importance of bringing people around to having advice, to asking those questions, to, to be able to come to a place where you can have your own spiritual advisory council. Others who've gone before, who've lived it out, who understand this is what it looks like to live out the word of God. Colossians 3.16 says it this way. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. So yes, then this. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Teach and counsel each other. Don't just, again, listen to a sermon, and that's, that's one way, that's some of the teaching and counsel, but each other is a back and forth, isn't it? It's not just reading something on the internet or, or, or some resource, listening to some podcast. Teach and counsel each other. How is wisdom gained? Through life experience, through failures, through struggles. And when you have a group that you come to, you've got the wisdom of everyone in that group, and you have your wisdom to add to that group. And so if you're not in a group, you can't, and you can't bless others with what you're learning and with what you're going through. So the importance of these groups to get together, and as you're talking about faith, it's not just what did the Bible say, but how does the Bible impact the way I relate to my spouse? Talk to me about how are you handling this in marriage? How are you raising your kids? I've got a high schooler. I don't know what to do with that. I've got a middle schooler. How, do, how, are, you, how are you dealing with that? Finances. You talk about that with others. How you... How do you handle that? Challenges, struggles, things that you're dealing with. If, you, if you've gone through a hard time, if you're coming through trauma, if you're dealing with death, others in your group can help you through that. The wisdom is there to apply God's word and to show how that gets lived out. Life groups are a place where you can have your own spiritual advisory council. Here's what I'm going through. Help me out. So we've got dialogue. We've got wisdom. The third is this, accountability. Friends that love and challenge us to grow. I almost didn't put that in there because someone would go, oh, that's not really something I want. <laughs> we don't like accountability, <laughs> right? I mean, this is, this is one of the biggest struggles we have in the, in the church as believers. Nobody can tell me what to do. I might be your pastor, but you don't care what I say. I mean, you might care, but you, you don't have to do it. I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm doing my own thing. I can't force you to do something. We don't submit ourselves to others. We don't want accountability. We want to do our own thing. I know the Bible says this and you teach this, but I want to do this. I believe this. We're, that's, that's part of our, our, our culture. It's part of our country, I think, in some ways in this day. We don't want accountability. Now, accountability isn't getting into a group and everybody going, you, you, you know, pointing it out. Accountability is, is voluntarily submitting. It's saying, hold me accountable. Help me grow. Here's some things I want to learn. James, James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. You can't confess your sins to each other if you're not in community. <laughs> There's no one. And so what we do is we hide the things. 
that we're struggling with. We bury them. We try to carry them. We carry the guilt, the shame. We don't find freedom. We don't find our way through. And eventually, that begins to pull us back. Confession, sharing with one another. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm dealing with. That's hard. That's hard to do, but it changes and transforms how we're growing and what we're doing. And accountability, again, just says, you, you may just bring up to the group, you know, I'm, uh, I'm trying to read the Word of God every day. That's my goal. I want to read the Word of God and pray every day. Ask me about that. You know, maybe you're younger, you say, you know, I'm really trying to have some boundaries with my boyfriend, with my girlfriend. We're, we're, we're trying to live that out. Hold me accountable to that. I want to honor God in that. Whatever your thing is, whatever that, that you're trying to grow in, whatever you're trying to do, help each other out. And, and I like the way Galatians 6 says it this way. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should kick them out and get angry with them and tell them never to show up again. <laughs> should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Share each other's burdens. I think we're afraid to confess. I think we're afraid to share the struggles that we've got going on because I can't be perfect. I can't show up to church. And What are they going to think? What are they going to say? But to have a safe place where you can go and say, here's the thing I'm dealing with, and have others come alongside and go, you know what, come on, let's get back on the right path. What do you need? How can we help you? What can we do? Share each other's burdens. How can we pray for you? That's one of the most powerful parts of life groups when you get together. It's not just the prayer request that gets shared with the church in general. We pray for those things, or we'll pray after church, and there's power in that prayer. But there's something powerful about praying through a situation with a group of people. Most of our things aren't a prayer that's one and done, right? We deal with things in our lives that are ongoing. Man, I'm praying, I'm, I'm just agonizing over my daughter and my son or whatever. And, and, and you should come back and you share those things. And you pray and people ask you, how can I pray for you? How can I help you through that? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. Who's praying with you? Who's encouraging you through? Who's helping you with that accountability to, to walk the life of faith? That's the power of the circle. So we've got dialogue, we've got wisdom, right? We've got the, um, the accountability. And the fourth is this, encouragement. See, we've got to end on a good note, right? Because nobody likes accountability, but it's important. <laughs> encouragement. Your own personal cheering section. How awesome is that? Um, we've got a couple of our daughters that have been running cross-country. Have you ever, like, cross-country? It's basically run like a, like a two-mile course or whatever. It gets longer, I think, in high school. And, um, and it's just kind of out in the fields and the woods. And, and one thing about cheering for cross-country versus some other sports is they're constantly moving. And so the cool thing is parents will show up, and oftentimes you're kind of situated in the center of the, where they're running. So you can get up there to the, uh, to the starting line. And so all the parents kind of are near the starting line where there's just, you know, tons of kids and before they're ready to go. And as it is, right, when you're starting a race, the gun goes off, and it's like parents going, come on. And I'm cheering, for, come on, Annika, come on, Annika. I mean, I, don't, I'm not, I might cheer for some others, but I'm cheering my daughter on, right? I'm like, I want her to know, get going, get started. You got this pumper up in the beginning. And then the cool thing about cross country is as they're running further, we can kind of take shortcuts through the course and, like, meet them at different parts of the course because we couldn't possibly keep up with them, right? And so, so we cut across, and, and now it's, like, maybe more towards the middle of the race, right? And the pace is getting a little bit, like, the legs are getting a little heavier, right? And so what do we do as parents and, and cheering our teams on? We start clapping. We start, come on, come on, come on, come on, get your head up. Here's your stride. Come on, do it. You got this. You got this. And if you've ever been on the other side of receiving that kind of encouragement, right, it builds you up a little bit. 
Others are cheering, others are looking on, and, and you feel that motivation. And then they go a little further, and then the parents scurry over, and now they're coming to the finish line, right? We're going to beat them there and make sure we can cheer them on. We start seeing them coming, and then it's that last push. Come on, get that stride going. Give it everything you got. Come on, leave it out there. I don't care if you throw up afterward. Just go, 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 right? And it's like, it just pumps you up. We need that kind of cheering, and, and that's what we get in a group, is others that cheer you on in the life of faith and what you're doing and what you're going through and saying, you got this, you can do this. We need that encouragement. First Thessalonians 5, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. If you just come on a Sunday morning and you hear this message, maybe you, I try to encourage you, I try to pump you up, but then you go home, you don't have the others that is this cheering section that know specifically what you need to be cheered for, where you need to be encouraged. We love that you join online, but it's hard to cheer you on. It's hard to cheer you on when we're not in relationship together, and we encourage that connection, to find that connection, to find that place, to get together and say, how can we encourage one another? It continues in, in Thessalonians, just a couple verses later, verse 14. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Some need a kick in the pants, right? Don't we sometimes need a kick in the pants? That's what the Bible says right here. You're being lazy, come on. Come on, get back in your faith, get back on the horse, you got this. Sometimes we need that. Encourage those who are timid. Get some courage. Go into work, have that conversation. You have to, you know, buck up, let's do it. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. To recognize this is not a time that needs that force or that courage, but now it's just tender care and help each other through. Be patient with everyone. When we try to grow in our faith, and to be devoted to God's teaching on our own, we don't get these things. We don't get the opportunity to dialogue and talk with somebody else and to hear that. We don't get to hear their wisdom. We don't get to share what God is teaching us. We don't grow in our own wisdom when we're not sharing that with other people. When we don't have the accountability, you know who's your worst accountability partner? <laughs> right? <laughs> we all know it. We all know it. That's why, you know, so many things in our lives, we have ideas, but we don't follow through. We need others to help us in, in faith, and we need that encouragement. And so where are you in relationship to community and being devoted to the, the teaching? To do that in the context of community. You know, we're in the fall, and we start, I mean, I don't know if many of you have already had some, you know, fires going in the fire pit. We, we like to get those going in the backyard, or maybe you're camping. And it just reminds me of when, when the fire's really going, right? All the logs together, it's just you know, it's just burning, it's lit, it's, it's on fire. And then if inevitably what happens, right, the fire changes a little bit and like a log will roll off, right? It rolls off to the side. How long does it keep burning? <laughs> I mean, it was on fire, right? It's lit, there's a piece of wood, it's lit, it's on fire. Eventually it just kind of peters out, doesn't it? Just kind of smolders, just turns, turns to, to ashes. All you need to do is kind of nudge that log back into the fire and eventually it captures fire again. When I think about being devoted in faith, being devoted to community, connecting with one another, we need to be connected to that fire, and that is one another. That's where the fire of God burns in us. That's where the fire in community grows us. And if we're going to be a church that makes an impact and makes a difference and keeps doing what God has called us to do, we cannot do it as a bunch of individual believers showing up on a Sunday morning. We need to know who's your group. Who's your advisor council? Who's the pouring wisdom into you? Who's holding you accountable? Who, where, who's your cheering section that's saying, come on, go, go, you got this. We need to be 
in community. It's modeled for us in scripture. It's the way God designed us to be a part of the body of faith. Don't go it alone. Let's be together. Let's be connected as community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this example that we see in scripture of this early church and how they just knew we have to connect with one another if we're going to make it. Lord, speak to us connect us, help us to see just the beauty of the church when we connect in relationship with one another, not just in proximity to, to a place that we come to worship, but with people that we know and love and pour into and they pour into us. God, where we see life change, where we cheer each other on and help each other grow. Father, we wanna be committed to your word, disciples that know and love you. May we do that together in community. Father, if there's anyone here today that just feels disconnected from you, from the body, Lord, would you draw them in today? May we draw them in very physically, practically here in relationship and friendship to connect with one another, to ask each other about our hometowns, to be willing to pray for one another, to gather around a table and break bread together, to pray for one another. God, we are so thankful for this opportunity to be your church. May no one feel isolated and alone, but may we belong. We love you. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.